Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Whatever happens, develop a virtuous cycle. Hello there, and welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast. We're in a series of studies through this incredible letter of Philippians, and if you have your Bible, then please open it to Philippians chapter 1, and we'll pick up where we left off last time with verse number 6. In the meantime, I want to also encourage you to visit my website, robertjmorgan.com. I've got a couple of exciting trips coming up. One is to the British Isles. We're going to tour England together in July of next year and study where the various great hymns of the faith were written. And if you want information about this tour, go to worshipconvergence.com. That's worshipconvergence.com. And click on their Heritage Tour site link and look at our Then Sings My Soul uh, tour that I'll be doing with John Bolin. And then we have a trip coming up to Israel in June of next year. It's June 8 through 18. And if you'd like information about that, you can message me on Facebook or you can call the Donaldson Fellowship and ask for Sherry, and she will give you more information. And as for my books and my uh, blog and all of the other resources we have, well, you can find that at robertjmorgan.com. I'm sure that you were up listening to the radio, as I did. If you did, then you have surely heard the voice, that iconic voice of the Bible teacher, J. Vernon McGee. On the radio and in his own church, he taught through the Bible, book by book, and chapter in chapter, and verse by verse. And even though he died in 1988, his Bible teaching goes on, capturing the attention of one new generation of listeners after another. Dr. McGee was born in Texas into dire poverty, and his family moved 24 times before he was 14 years old. And then when he was 14, his father was killed in an accident, and his mother moved the family yet again, this time to Nashville, where the boy immediately had to go to work. With the help of a benefactor, he made his way through college but he did not have any money to go to seminary, and he felt he had to go to seminary to be a pastor or a Bible teacher, and he was very discouraged. He later said, It was during the time of the Great Depression, and I thought that I would never be able to finish one year after the other. When I completed my senior year of college and took my degree, my roommate found me sitting on the edge of my bed and feeling hopeless. He said, What's the matter? You look like you've lost your best friend. I've lost everything, McGee said. God brought me up to this moment, but I can't go to seminary. I don't have a dime. I'm going out this afternoon and hitchhike back to Nashville, Tennessee. 
Well, at that moment, the phone rang, and McGee went to the phone. Two dear little widowed ladies from Memphis, Tennessee, were calling, and they said, we want you to come over because we have something for you. Well, they'd already given me a tie for his graduation, so he thought maybe they had another tie for him. He went over that afternoon, and he said, when I went in, I could see that it was very formal because they were all dressed up. They looked like they had just walked out of antebellum days. After chatting a while, the two women asked McGee about his plans. He said he didn't know what he was going to do. One of the ladies handed him an envelope, and then the other one gave him an envelope. McGee thanked them and left. He went around the corner as quickly as possible to open those envelopes, and each one contained a large check. That night, Vernon McGee's Sunday school class had a farewell banquet for him, and they gave him some more money, and it was all enough to prepare him for the ministry to let him go on to seminary. But that evening, someone at the banquet gave him something else as well. Said Someone said to him, Vernon, I want to give you a Bible verse. It was Philippians 1.6, and from that moment, it became J. Vernon McGee's favorite verse, and it became what we call his life verse. He once wrote a book about it, and he called it my favorite verse in the Bible, and it was this verse, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, 75 years passed, and McGee said on one occasion that God every day had made good on that promise every single day of his life. He said, the Lord kept working on me day after day, year after year, to make me more and more like Christ. Well, we ended last week's episode with that verse. And I said that it contained the entire three-phase sweep of the Christian life. Justification, when the Lord began a good work in us. Sanctification or Christification, as the Lord continues to do this good work. And glorification, when this good work will be completed at the return of Christ. He is not doing a bad work within us. He is not doing nothing within us. He is doing a good work within us. But we're not finished with this passage. In the next verse, Philippians 1.7, the Apostle Paul goes on to lead us all into a prayer that describes what I call the virtuous life of Christification. He articulates the process that God uses to accomplish this good work. How does God go about turning us into miniature images of Jesus Christ? How does this process of Christification play out in our lives? Well, let's read it in this prayer in Philippians 1, verses 7 through 11. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless 
for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Are you familiar with the term virtuous cycle? It's not a Christian phrase or a biblical term. The first time that I remember hearing it was during an interview with the mayor of some city. He said that they had managed to develop a virtuous cycle in a particular neighborhood. Now I realize this is a very frequent term in politics and business and in commerce. A virtuous cycle is when a chain of events goes in the right direction. It's when one good thing leads to another and to another and to another in a circular way. For example, the mayor described how government improvements in a neighborhood had led to people moving into that neighborhood. People moving into the neighborhood led to businesses being established. That brought finances flowing into the area. That led to taxable revenue, which was pumped back into the community, and the whole cycle kept going in an upward way, a virtuous cycle, as the community was gentrified. Well, in this passage of Philippians, the Apostle Paul explains the virtuous cycle of Christification, of how God carries on to completion the good work he has begun with us. There are six steps, and he prays them out in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9-11. through 11. First, we treat others generously. At the top of the list is treating others generously, which is agape love. Look at the prayer. He said, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound or overflow more and more. And the word that he used for love there is agape. After the death of Alexander the Great, the Greek language spread throughout the world. And during the 400 years between the Old and the New Testaments, a group of Jewish scholars in Alexandria, Egypt, translated the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, into Greek. And this became known as the Septuagint. Paul read and studied the Septuagint alongside his own Hebrew Bible. He studied the Bible, or the Old Testament, both in Hebrew and in Greek, in the Septuagint. Well, in the days when they were translating the Septuagint, there were several Greek words for love. One of the terms was obscure and very rarely used. It was this Greek word agape. The Septuagint translators found that word and they infused it with fresh meaning, with divine meaning. They began using it in this Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures to describe the sweet and the superlative and the stupendous love of Almighty God, and then they used it to describe the kind of divine love that we should exhibit to one another. The New Testament writers then seized on this and made agape an exclusively wondrous word about the kind of love that originates from God's love alone. It is his own true love supercharged with grace. So this is the first thing that Paul prayed for, for the Philippians, that this agape, this divine, wonderful love, this unique kind of love that the world doesn't know anything about, would abound or overflow in them more and more. Well, exactly what did Paul mean by this word agape? 
I think he defines it in the, in the next chapter, if you'll turn the page to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, there you have one of the Bible's best definitions of agape. The kind of love that the world offers says, what can this person do for me? Agape love says, what can I do for this person? Now, think of somebody right now. Just bring them to your mind, whoever it is. It doesn't matter. Just bring into your mind a person. The kind of love that the world has says, what can they do for me? You're always asking, what can this person do for me? But agape love says, what can I do for them, for that other person? And Paul was praying that the Philippians would just overflow and that you and I would abound in this kind of love. Today, just today, I read an interview with Tim Tebow. Many of us have followed him because of his outspoken witness for Christ and because of the ups and downs of his athletic career. But in this interview, he said this, The same year I was voted one of the most popular athletes in America, I was cut from my team. So in the same year, am I going to be at a high or am I going to be at a low? He said, I'm so grateful that when I hold on to the truth of God, I don't have to be either one. I am who God says I am. And he went on to say, the first verse my parents made me memorize as a five-year-old boy was the verse that says, the greatest among you will be a servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He said, I didn't understand that verse at first, but my parents knew that I was so competitive and I wanted to play and I loved playing. And so before we would play, we had to memorize scripture verses. And for me, they were primarily about humility. And he said it was crazy because along the way, those verses would pop into my head. Sometimes it feels like you're on a roller coaster, but we get off and hold to the firm foundation, and that's the Word of God. And he went on to talk about humility and how despite the ups and downs of his career, the important thing is serving others. And now Tim's foundation is taking the gospel and word and intangible help to those who need it all around the world. Well, we jump onto this virtuous cycle when we realize that one day we may be the most popular person in the world and the other person we may be cut from the team, but it's perfectly all right either way because we are who God says we are and our lives are intended to be generous to be marked by humility, and to seek them to meet the needs of our husband, our wife, our children, our fellow students, our fellow employees, the strangers that cross our paths, whoever they are. Romans 5 says that the agape of God is poured into our hearts, and we simply want to be humble servants and to think not about our own interests but theirs. And that leads to the next step in this cycle, Make wise decisions. Treat others generously and then make wise decisions. This is verse 8. 
And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best as we learn more and more about his love. And as we love more and more with real agape, we will learn more and more about God's will and his ways. We will come to understand life more from his point of view, and we'll be able to make the best decisions possible. Every decision has consequences, and one bad decision can reap a whirlwind. I read about a lovely young girl who was known for her good grades and her kind-heartedness. She never got into trouble. But she chose to hang out with some people who were not like that. And they were partying one night, and one of the girls shot a flare gun in the house. The house caught on fire, and three small children were killed. The girl and her three friends were sent to prison. And in the courthouse, the girl told the judge, she said, I made a bad decision, and it turned into the worst mistake of my life. Very often, one bad decision can lead to another and to another, and you have a vicious cycle, not a virtuous cycle. You have a downward spiral, and that's the very opposite of what God wants for us. Well, through the years, I've made bad decisions too. We all have. But the more time I spend in Scripture, reading it and studying it and memorizing it and pondering it, the more likely I am to grow in knowledge and in depth of insight so that I can discern what is best and make wise decisions. One of my frequent prayers has been, Teach me thy way, O Lord. Teach me thy way. Thy guiding grace afford. Teach me thy way. Help me to walk aright, more by faith, less by sight. Lead me with heavenly light. Teach me thy way. Here's the way J.I. Packer puts it. He said, some of us who trust Christ as Savior have formed the habit of going to him about everything that comes up in order to become clear on how we should react to it as his disciples. He said, going to him is an umbrella phrase that covers three things, praying and meditating, which includes thinking, reflecting, drawing conclusions from Scripture, and applying them directly to oneself in Jesus' presence. and holding oneself open throughout the process to the specific illumination of the Holy Spirit. He said, Christians who are like this cope with events in a spirit of peace and joy and eagerness to see what God will do next. Others, however, who are no less committed to Jesus as their Savior, never master the art of habitually going to Him about life's challenges. Well, if you know the Lord as your Savior, you need to develop the pattern of going to Him on every occasion to seek His will, to study His Word and apply it to your circumstances. If we go to Him in everything, we'll have wisdom and discernment on every needed occasion, which is just about all the time. And that leads to inward purity. Build inward purity. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. Now, pure and blameless 
are words that point to personal holiness. Cicero was a Roman thinker who died about a generation before Jesus was born. He has a famous quote that I like. He said, if you have a garden and a library, you have everything you need. I'm thinking of having that rendered into calligraphy because I'm very fortunate to have a library and a door that leads out of the library into my garden. Whenever I'm writing or working on sermons, then I'll work for a while, and then I'll go out into the garden and water things and pull weeds. Sometimes I use a hoe, and on very rare occasions I'll use a herbicide to kill the weeds, but there is something very satisfying about grabbing a weed by the stem, pulling it by the root, shaking off the dirt, and tossing it away. My library and my garden. You know, it's exactly the same way in my personal life. I continually go back and forth from my Bible to my heart. I'll spend some time in the 66 books of God's library, and then I'll go to work on watering the good habits in my life and weeding out the bad ones. I've been working on it for a long time, and my garden isn't yet all that I want it to be. Just like you, I have a lot of weeds that spring up in my mind and in my habits and in my behavior. If a weed stays too long, it develops very deep roots, and it's harder to deal with it. Sometimes I have to take a shovel to it. Sometimes, no matter how hard I try, I can't get all of the root. The thing has a way of coming back again and again. Sometimes I have to pull out the herbicide, as it were. But as long as I live, I'm going to work at eradicating the weeds from my life and my brain and my heart and my behavior and watering the plants that belong to faith and to obedience. To quote J.I. Packer again, holiness is the habit of agreeing in God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in the world by the standard of his word. What does that lead to? What is the next arc in the circle or the next phase of this virtuous cycle? It is serving God continually. Look at the verses again. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, we have to interpret this. What is the fruit of righteousness? The word fruit is not a literal word. It's a metaphor. It's a symbol. What is the fruit of righteousness? Well, remember, Paul was a student of the Hebrew Scriptures and the Greek Septuagint, our Old Testament. And this is an Old Testament phrase. You can find it in Psalm 72, verse 3, Amos 6, 12, and Proverbs eleven thirty. It refers to the behavior of the righteous person, the way that we behave day by day. As we cultivate the garden of our heart and pursue personal holiness, that shows up in our conduct and our speech and what people see when they look at us and the very attitude we exhibit as we walk through life. And so we have got to exhibit the behavior of the Lord Jesus Christ every day. And that brings us to another phrase. That is, we must embody Christ daily. Look at it again. 
This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless, and that I have Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It comes, it all comes through him. Major Ian Thomas, the great British Bible expositor, says, the one who calls you is the one who does that to which he calls you. Let me say it again. The one who calls you is the one who does that to which he calls you. In other words, the one who calls us is the only one who can do through us the very things that he is calling us to do. The major said, the one who called you to a life of righteousness is the one who is, by our consent, able to live that life of righteousness through you. He said, the one who called you to go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature is the one who, by your consent, goes into all of the world and preaches the gospel to every creature through you. He said, it is your living faith in the adequacy of the one who is in you which releases his divine action through you. Well, this is the kind of activity that the Bible calls good works as opposed to dead works. This is the good work he is working in us. It is the fruit of righteousness. And this is what Paul was talking about in the book of Galatians when he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that leads us to the sixth phase here. It all results in our glorifying God greatly. Look at the verse one more time. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. It all results in God being glorified, and this is the virtuous cycle. It's not something that just happens once. It keeps cycling over and over in our lives until we cycle all the way to heaven. We experience the agape love of God, and it begins to work in our hearts. That clarifies our thinking so that we make better decisions. Based on that, we build inward purity. We begin serving God continually. We show forth the fruits of righteousness. We do that as we embody Christ daily, and he works his life and work through us, and that results in God being glorified. So God is shaping us, cultivating us, growing us, helping us, showing us every day that he has begun a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. As Randy Alcorn put it, people had only to look at Jesus to see what God is like. People today should only have to look at us to see what Jesus is like. So my friend, whatever happens, remind yourself that the one who began a good work in you is carrying it on to completion through the day of Christ Jesus, and he is doing it through the virtuous cycle that Paul put into the form of this incredible prayer here at the beginning of his letter to the Philippians. Well, thank you for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe. 
and his marketing company, Clearly Media. Audio editing is done by Jared Brummett. Print editing is by Sherry Anderson. Luke Tyler posts these episodes as a blog at robertjmorgan.com, so within a few days you should find a copy there, a transcript of this message, along with many other resources. And music is by Jordan Davids and Elijah Rowe. Thank you again for listening, and may God be with you until we meet again.